0: Welcome to the Express Your Wonders Show, a podcast for those who want to set themselves free from the lies that fear and anxiety tell us. I grew up in a world where it was very important what other people think, as if they were watching me all the time and judging me. I was always told what to do, what not to do, and how I should feel and how I should not feel. So what did that teach me? Well, obviously it taught me that I can't think for myself, Or I don't know what my true feelings are because someone else needs to tell me what I feel. So I'm not good enough and I'm not worthy enough of having what other people have. And wait, what kind of crap is that? It took me way too long to realize, so I started a podcast to help you see the signs that lead to these limiting beliefs, so you don't have to wait as long as I did to realize that you're pretty awesome, and you are so worthy, and you have a lot to offer this world. I'm Brahman Corkery, and you'll hear from me and special guests who will help you see the amazing value that you hold inside by sharing their stories and what they did to change their mindset. I'm sure you'll be able to relate to some of these stories and probably will make you laugh a little bit too. So let's get started. Are you ready? Let's go. Welcome back to another episode of Express Your Wonders. In the last episode, I shared my story of how my family grew throughout the 1950s and 60s. The reason I like to share that part of my story is because I feel like it sets the stage for what life was like growing up in my house with parents who were just a little bit older than the average new parents in the early 1950s. And it helps give me a better understanding of the different perspectives each person in the family had and what it was like for them growing up as well. Growing up, I never felt like I fit in. My sisters were seven and eight years older than me, and in so many ways, they had something very special together. They were best friends and shared the same memories growing up. As a kid, I wished I had someone my age. I used to beg my parents to just have one more kid. That's all, just one more. But whatever, I guess it wasn't about me back then. My sisters were only one year apart from each other, and in my eyes, totally inseparable. I wanted so much to be closer to their age, but instead I was just the little sister. Now they included me in so many things they did. They used to take me shopping and they they took care of me when I was little. I remember they used to walk me to school when I was in kindergarten and they were a big part of my life growing up, but we didn't have that, that best friend kind of thing going on. We did much older in our lives, but as little kids, of course, I was that much younger, so of course I wasn't going to be one of their best friends. Then there was my brothers. They were closer to my age. They were two and a half years, four years, and five years older than me. And they were boys. But it was enough of an age difference that I just really didn't fit in with them either. They had each other. They didn't really need a pesty little sister around. I mean, I don't think I was pesty little sister, but... I guess the fact that I cried easily and (laughs) I used to tell on them when I didn't get what I wanted from them. So I guess that's what gave me that label. Anyway, they had each other to go through their stages of life with. And with that, I can remember a time specifically when I was around eight years old, I think it was. And uh, every one of my family was old enough to go to midnight mass. And I always felt left out of that, but who really wants to be up that late anyway on Christmas Eve? I had to go to the nine o'clock mass in the morning because we went to Catholic school and at my age, that's what the requirement was. Well, needless to say, I was still a little kid and I was excited for Christmas morning to come, to come down early like we always did every year and open presents and, you know, that joy you get as a kid on Christmas morning. But because my older siblings all went to that late mass, they got home late, very late, didn't go right to bed. And then, you know, by morning, they did not want to get up. So that's when I decided to take a stand. And I told them that I just didn't think it was fair, that when they were my age, Christmas morning wasn't affected by going late at night to mass. And they got to come down in the morning early and be excited and be kids. But instead of anybody understanding and just getting where I was coming from, I got made fun of. And for years after that, if I dared to say anything, I would hear it's not fair to me. That's how they used to imitate me and it drove me out of my mind. So what that type of behavior did for me was teach me to withdraw, to avoid saying something that I was feeling because it was just asking for trouble. And it taught me that my feelings didn't matter. Now, things weren't always that bad. We did have times that we would hang out together and, you know, when we all go to the beach or something like that. But as far as playing in the neighborhood, we didn't do that as much. But the more I think about it, I start to remember a few things we used to do together. There was a game we used to play called Monster on the Ship we'd all go on our back porch and it was like one of the few times that my older brothers would interact with me and my friends and I cherished every minute of that. Then on summer nights, when we were allowed to go out after dinner, a lot of the kids in the neighborhood would get together and we would play a ball game in the street. I forget some of the details of what it was, but we would also have made up games that we would play. But then when it was time that the older boys didn't want the little girls around anymore, they would start throwing rocks where the bats were hanging out in the tree and tell us that the bats would come down and tangle up in our hair. I don't know about you, but that was a freaking nightmare to me at the thought of that ever happening. So sure enough, we would go running and crying and running into the house. So I guess what I'm saying is I pretty much had a normal growing up experience, but it did leave me with those scars of not feeling good enough and, you know not feeling worthy and i had to work really hard to earn the love from both my parents and from my siblings. When i talk about my brothers at this point in my life, it's um the reason it's just the 3 of them even though i had 5 brothers was i kind of to me the family was split 4 and 4, the 4 oldest and the 4 youngest. I think that just comes about from the 4 oldest all got married at young ages and By 1975, they were all out of the house. And there was only me and the younger three brothers left at home. So by the time I was only 13 years old, about 13 and a half, it was just the four of us. And the family that I was most used to and had the most memories of living at home. Now, My parents didn't have the most romantic relationship. In fact, I barely remember ever seeing any affection between them. But of course, when you have eight, little kids running around the house, trying to keep track of everybody, doesn't exactly create that romantic environment. Before I continue this conversation, I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor, Expressive Wonders. Go on over to expressivewonders.etsy.com to get your holiday shopping underway. They offer custom and personalized gifts for moms and dads, teachers, and other special people in your life. When you get to the page, look for the link to sign up for their VIP club and get 25% off your first order. That's expressivewonders.etsy.com. Anyway, just to tell you a little bit about what life was like my father growing up. Uh, My father retired from the New York Fire Department in 1961, which was the year I was born, so I have no memories of that time, obviously. While I was growing up, he was working that nine-to-five job in Manhattan. He was a draftsman for the American Electric Power in downtown Manhattan. I didn't know what that meant or what that kind of job that was, but what I do remember is he would bring home this really cool paper. It was blueprint paper. So all his electrical blueprints were all on one side, and the other side was just plain white. So instead of it getting thrown out, he was ahead of his time with recycling. He would bring it home, and we would be able to use it as drawing paper. I loved it because it was really big once you unfolded it, and I used to make my own little indoor hopscotch board. We were a typical family, I guess. My father would be home from work by 6 o'clock. We'd all sit down at the dinner table together, and Mom would have dinner ready just when he got home from work. But when I was about six years old, I was in the first grade and my father suffered a massive heart attack and was brought to a hospital in downtown Manhattan, close to where he worked. He survived, thank God. But I don't really remember much from that time. Uh, It was hard for everyone. And I remember that my sister's telling me about, they got to go visit him, but I didn't get to go visit because of course I was too young. After he came home from the hospital, I guess things seemed to go back to normal. I, I, Like I said, I don't have any real memories of when he was away. I know it was real hard on my family, but dad was home and things are getting back to usual. From what I was told, my father seemed to go into some depression after that. He was only about 53 years old at that time. And he was relatively fit. He was a speed skater when he was young, like he would do races and everything. So he was really good. And he was always out walking and always kept fit. So how could this happen? He ate well and he exercised. So how could this type of thing happen to him? So he did what he was told to do by the doctors and went through his recovery and took the medication as prescribed until it ran out. And then he was he was done. He was ready to move on and never did any kind of follow-up after that. I do hear my older sibling saying that he was just not the same after that. He slowed down quite a bit. Seemed normal to me because it was the only daddy I knew. But like I said, to me, life was back to normal. My father tried so hard to do fun things when we were young, but because there was always a life lesson to be learned, it kind of sucked the fun out of it. We would have a family game night. No, we didn't all sit around the table laughing, playing a board game or anything like that with all kinds of snacks. What we did was play Draw the Tail on the Dog. That's one of the games I remember the most. Draw the Tail on the Dog was very much like Pin the Tail on the Donkey, except we, we had a big blackboard in our kitchen. So my father would draw a dog on the blackboard, and then we would each get a turn to get blindfolded, you know, spin around, and then approach the blackboard with a piece of chalk and draw the tail on it. And we thought that was kind of fun, but you know, it got old. The snacks we had were uh, usually saltines and what my father called hot plain. That was a drink we think he invented, which was tea without a tea bag, or it could be coffee without the coffee. So basically it was just the hot water with some milk in it and some sugar. We thought it was great. I remember another game we used to play. It was called, Hey Jim, you lost your bag. That was fun. He made this game up too. The way it would work was we'd start out in our hallway, walk into one part of our kitchen, circle around to the other part of the kitchen, then come through the dining room and then back into the hallway again. We'd all be spread apart so nobody could actually see the person in front of them or behind them. And then, so you'd start walking and somebody would be holding like a briefcase or a suitcase or something. And all of a sudden you would just drop it. Then the next person walks along and finds it. So they pick it up and yell, Hey Jim, you lost your bag. We thought it was the funniest thing. And we played it for quite some time as far as I remember. I must sound like a Debbie Downer acting like, you know, this was torture for us to do these things. It was actually kind of fun. And looking back, my my father's head was in the right place with doing that. I guess it was just more painful because it was something we had to do. It wasn't really a choice. We didn't get really many choices of our own back then. My relationship with my father changed as I got a little bit older. I felt like I had to work really hard to feel loved. If you ever said anything that you were excited about or did really good, like I got a good grade in school or, you know, just what a fun day you had. A lot of times you just get a response similar to like, well, what do you think you're good? His lesson he was trying to teach us all the time was to be humble and kind and not braggy and just the simple things in life. You didn't need stuff as far as he was concerned. So just enjoy doing something and not look to get that trophy at the end of it or anything like that, which I guess is a good lesson, but you know, we like our toys. And as a kid, I just felt like I couldn't please him. I remember one time it was the beginning of the school year and I received my school supply list and book list. And I was so anxious and scared because I had to approach him and ask for the money I needed to buy what I needed from the school supply closet he didn't hesitate he you know talked to me about the importance of it and how much things cost and don't waste it and all of that but for the most part he handed it right over i don't know what i was so afraid of but that's the kind of relationship i developed with him another tradition that we grew to not enjoy so much was during the months of october and may my father would have us after dinner, all get together, grab our rosary beads and say the rosary together. The reason for October was because October is actually the month of the rosary and May is the month of Mary, the mother of Jesus. The rosary was a prayer that was very repetitive. You'd say the same things over and over again with some meditations about the life of Jesus as as you went along. As I think about it, it sounds like it's actually a Pretty nice thing for us to do together. But again, we're kids, it wasn't what we wanted to do. So we suffered through it. We somehow always managed to find something to laugh about during it too. One particular thing I remember was my dog was under the table at the time. He was an older dog and let's just say he was giving himself a bath. So just use your imagination there. And there was lots of snorts and sounds coming from him. So needless to say, we're all trying so hard to hold in the laughter. But in honesty, I think my father wanted to laugh as well. We were afraid to laugh because we would get in trouble. Then we'd have to either start over or there'd be some sort of a punishment afterwards. Like you had to sit and talk about it or that was like the worst thing, punishment we can get was when my father would, what we called getting speeched out. Another thing to make us laugh is my, one of my brothers would sit right next to my father at the dinner table. So it was like two on each end, three on the side, and three on the other side. So he was right next to my father, and he would slide back just a little bit and like make faces or maybe have food come dripping out of his mouth or something like that. And again, we'd all start laughing because my father can't see this, but we can. Needless to say, there was that fear of getting in trouble again. Looking back though, it does create some fun memories of things that we wish we didn't have to do. But one of, the, one of the punishments we would get is if you got caught laughing at the table, was afterwards we'd go in the living room and you get like a speech therapy sort of a lesson. It, it was kind of weird. My father would have us say the words, how now brown cow? And it would get more and more exaggerated and you had to really articulate and use your whole mouth saying, how now, brown cow? Needless to say, if too many of us were in the room, it was just chaos and giggles going on. Well, that's just some of the stories of growing up with my father. My father was a very good man, a caring man, very gentle and kind, and he was very religious. And I think his illness just really affected him. He had a lot of social issues, and, you know, I can look back now, and what I've learned about him and the issues he had growing up. Growing up during the Depression, his family, his father was a banker and lost a lot during the Depression, and, you know, he had his struggles growing up too. I think that just taught him to be even more simple, which is why going to the beach, you just brought your towel, and that was it. So I I really learned that how they grew up really affected how we grew up. And this just goes on and on. And I guess there were things that he wanted to correct from his childhood and correct them with us, but just left us with some scars. And then I, on the other hand, when raising my children, I was more concerned about their feelings than anything else. That was something that really stood out for me growing up was that nobody really, respected my feelings or valued them for what they were, because everybody else always knew better. So I was always just all over my kids with their feelings, probably too much. Maybe that'll be the thing they correct with their kids. But I had to learn that my feelings do matter. It took me way too long to realize this. I don't want to admit it that I had any kind of an abusive childhood. I don't mean physical abuse. We didn't... We didn't experience that. Maybe a smack here and there when we were young, but there was some mental abuse, I think. And it's very hard for me to actually admit that. But it's just the stuff we heard that, you know, what do you think you're good? And, you know, all that kind of stuff just, you know, really affects you when you hear it a lot, which is why you don't think you're good enough. And when you have to work so hard to get somebody's love or get them to show their love, and then once you feel like they love you, it's temporary until you do something else. If you never acknowledge someone's feelings, that can leave some scars as well. I think it's really important to just really look at your childhood and things that were said that hurt you so bad and, and try to understand where it came from, from that person. I forgive my father for a lot of the stuff he did. I know that he did love us. He just didn't know how to show it. I know he meant to teach us the simple things in life, but it just didn't come off the way I think he planned. Plus, when you can understand where someone is coming from, it makes it a little easier to start healing. When I think about my parents having eight children in under 10 years and the craziness that they must have had with so many children at home and but I finally did find out that I am important, I'm worthy, I'm needed, and I'm loved. I want you to feel that way too. And hopefully at a younger age, you're going to do great things. You're important in this world. You matter, you're worthy, and you are loved. I hope hearing my story inspires you to believe in who you are, to know But you're worth the investment in time to find what helps you the most. For me, it was therapy. It was self-help books and welcoming people into my life that bring joy and happiness. Don't wait for others to give you permission. Give yourself that permission to feel that love and joy. That's it for today. Make sure you're here next time because I have some fun stories about my mother to share. Bye for now. Thank you for joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, I'd really appreciate your help to reach out and connect with the beautiful people who would benefit from hearing stories of struggles most of us have believing in ourselves and how we could push forward with grace, laughter, and confidence to live the abundant life we deserve. The way you could do that is to head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to the show and leave a review. It would also help so much if you would share it on Instagram and tag me at Expressive Wonders so I could give you a shout out as well. Your participation really means the world to me. So I'd like to invite you to continue the conversation over in my Facebook group, Express Your Wonders Podcast Community, where you can also find a link to grab your free mirror decal that says a special affirmation just for you. You can also follow me on my Facebook page, Expressive Wonders, as well as Instagram at Expressive Wonders. I'd like to give a big thank you to Tiffany Mason from Virtually You Podcast for her tremendous help getting this podcast up and running. And to my accountability support group, Sparkles, for their incredible encouragement. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.